podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this World Cup edition of the Dream Team Professor podcast. It's about a week away from the World Cup now and we're just going to be going over the basic rules and strategies you can use on this version of the Sun Dream Team game. So we'll start with the rules um, and you can find these as soon as you go to make your first team. There's a little tab where it just says how to play and this will bring up all the rules that I'm actually just showing in this, um, in this video here on YouTube. But um, we'll start with the points and the point scoring is exactly the same as on standard Sun Dream Team. Uh, you've got who scored that provide you with the ratings like they would usually on the, on the normal game. Uh, so it's quite handy to, if you know that there's some players that... Um, get good ratings fairly regularly in the normal Premier League version of the game and um, it could be quite a good idea to target those players um, in this format as well um, but the only difference is that um, points are applied in both normal and extra time so that's something to pay attention to and then any points that are scored missed or saved um, any penalties scored missed and saved are not awarded during penalty shootouts. So penalty shootouts won't count, but you will get the points during extra time. I'll just run through these points anyway, even though they are the same as um, the standard Sun Dream team. Um, so any players that get a rating above seven from who scored, um, you'll get three points for those. Starman gets plus five. Each goal that's scored, you get a plus five, but this excludes own goals. Hat-tricks is an extra five points. Assists, two points. If you get a yellow card, it's a minus one. A red card is a minus three. And a penalty miss is a minus three, but obviously not in a penalty shootout. And then for goalkeepers and defenders, if you get a clean sheet, that's five points. If you have more uh, two or more goals conceded, that's a minus one. And then each goal conceded over two goals is an extra minus one. Then for just goalkeepers, if they save a penalty in regular time or extra time, um, you'll get uh, plus three points. But obviously, again, penalty shootouts, these don't count. So most of you would be fairly um, familiar with all these points from the normal Sun Dream Team game. But if it is your first time playing Dream Team and you're going straight in with a World Cup, um, you can find all this on the, on the standard World Cup um, or Dream Team website. Then we'll go on to transfers. And now this is something that's quite different to the standard Sun Dream Team game. You get 30 transfers to last you the entire tournament and you'll get them all at the beginning, all in one go. Um, and then the only sort of limits to it is that you can make three uh, transfers maximum each calendar day. Um, and then if you switch a player out whose nation has already played on that day, the transfer will show as pending and then complete at midnight. So if your player's already played a game, um, but you know that you want to take, take them out for someone else, um, you can make that transfer. Um, it'll have a little, I think it'll have a little P just next to it when you um, when you make the change on your on your app or on the website. And then when it gets to midnight, the sort of lock, what we call a lockout will happen. Um, and then that player will be automatically changed to the next player. Um, one thing that is quite a bit different as well to the standard game is player values do not change throughout the tournament. So on normal Dream Team, if a player's playing well and they're scoring more points than, than expected or on a good run of form, their price will increase. But on this one, everyone's prices just stay what they will be at the beginning. Um, the only thing that's a little bit challenging at the moment is at the start of the game, um, they've set provisional prices, so we don't know the exact confirmed prices. But once the tournament starts, and I think the actual um, 
prices are due to get confirmed on Monday. But once we have the proper prices confirmed on, on Monday, um, you'll be able to see what the values are and they'll stay as those values throughout the whole tournament. So again, just to sum, summarize, so 30 transfers for the whole tournament, three transfers maximum a day, and there's no price changes. Up until the start of the World Cup, you can make as many changes to your team as you like, but as soon as that first game kicks off, that's it, that's your team, and then the transfers begin from there. So then on to building your team. Um, like I said before, so the player prices are still to be confirmed. Um, I believe that's Monday. I can't remember if that was a rumor or that's official, but keep an eye out for Monday because that's when I've heard that the, um, the, the prices are gonna be confirmed. Um, but we'll start, I'm just reading this again. This is, this is no secret information. This is directly from the Sun Dream Team site. And you can find that when you click how to play when you're making your team. Um, so team creation, you can give your team a name and choose your formation. Uh, the formations you get to choose from, you've got 3-4-3, 4-3-3 and 4-4-2. So exactly the same as the standard Sun Dream Team game. Um, so create a provisional team of 11 from your initial player list, all really basic. But you can choose as many players as you like from a single nation. So if you can afford it and you wanted the whole team from, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but if you wanted your whole team from one nation, you can do that. Um, but it's not recommended. Um, players have estimated prices until squads are confirmed. We've just covered that already. So Monday. Um, the value of your, of your team lower end must not exceed 50 million. So it's saying lower end just because the price is at the moment, if you click on a player, Trippier for example, it's saying between 4 and 4.5 million. So the lower end is what you need to focus on if you're building your team before these prices are confirmed. Um, so the lower value of your team mustn't exceed 50 million. They'll alert us when the squad lists and prices are confirmed. Make unlimited changes to your team until the first game. We've already covered that as well. Um, so really, no, the, in summary again, um, player prices to be confirmed. No limit on uh, players from a single club. Prices confirmed on Monday. Um, one thing, I, it doesn't say there, but you can make a maximum of five teams. So I would recommend doing this. Um, so if you've got a mini league with your friends or work colleagues, anything like that, um, obviously, by all means, just you enter your one team in that one. Um, but you can make five teams in total. So there's a few different ways this can this can help. If, you, if you're trying to go for the big prize at the end, uh, the cash prize, or just get the best overall rank you can, um, you can make a total of five teams. So you could make a team that's got a lot of England players, a team with a lot of Brazil players, Spain, and, th and then you've got a few different avenues and you can even work on the team that's doing the best at the time or just spread your bets a little bit. So. Yes, yeah, so I think it's always good to make the maximum amount of teams, but obviously if you're doing mini leagues with your friends, there'll be some sort of rule probably that you can only enter one. Um, but again, yeah, 50 million team value and no price changes, which I think um, if you're playing a normal game as well, I think it's quite nice to not have to think about that one. Right, that's the boring part out of the way. Um, reading the rules. Again, when you go to make your team, you can click how to play and it's a really quick summary of all the rules on there so yeah no need to spend too much time on it on this um this episode but i'd recommend just always read the rules on sun dream team there's a massive massive list of rules and i can't imagine everyone reads them but i would recommend it especially if you haven't played the game that many times 
But now onto the more exciting bit, which is strategies and how to get the best out of your team on this World Cup format. Before we do go to those strategies though, um, if you play regular Sun Dream Team or you are just looking to keep up to date with this World Cup Dream Team, please do like the video and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on Spotify, um, please do give us a follow on there as well. Right, World Cup strategy. Um, so there's, there's so many different ways to play this, um, this format of the game. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure what is the optimal way. Um, I think in this sort of knockout tournament football, um, there are so many variables that can happen. And it is such a, over such a short amount of time. Um, I do think it is a really difficult format, personally. Um, but there are a few different things that you can do and tactics that I've seen people do um, over the years I've played that can help you out. But each has their own pros and cons. Um, and like I said, the variables, it, it can all change because it doesn't take much um, for a team to have a bad period and then they're completely knocked out. So, yeah, it can completely upset your whole your whole plan or your whole strategy quite quite early on in the game. So. I'll go through these one by one, um, but this is the main things that I'm going to highlight. So um, this is quite a popular one in the game and you've got defensive blocks. Um, so if you do play normal Dream Team, you'll be fairly familiar with that. So a lot of people do like to choose a block from one of the best teams. And it is a good way to sort of gain on some of your opponents and get quite big jumps in rank. Um, so we'll be covering defensive blocks. And these are all sort of... <laughs> defensive blocks is one that's like a common... Uh, a common name in in dream team amongst dream team players but some of these i've just made up names for them just so that um, you get an example of what it is but i've put down a hybrid back line which I, i'd say is like a mix of two or three teams um so it's not not all in on one but you can get a sort of a mixture there and you've got the uh, flexibility to jump to some different teams um, I'm going to cover whether or not it's better to go big at the back or all out attack so all the best strikers or do you just want to get a best team full of defenders um, and then there's more of a balanced approach that I'm going to cover uh, but then I'm going to go on to what to do with your transfers and building a transfer plan as well because I think transfers in this is one of the hardest aspects in comparison to normal Sun Dream Team. Um, I think in the Euros last year you had 20 transfers for example to last year the tournament and I can remember that it can get quite difficult. I think I remember, I'm not sure, can't remember how far um, Holland got in the end, but I had quite a few Holland players and at one point I had to wipe, use a load of transfers to get these players out. And I think by the time I got to the final, I didn't even have a full squad of players. So there is, there is quite a knack to um, using your transfers and holding them back. So we'll, we'll come on to that as well. So we'll start with defensive blocks then. Um, so this really, the whole point of this is you would choose pretty much one team and then you target the weakest groups or the teams with the best fixtures for example um, now if you if you're watching on YouTube you'll be able to see this but if it's on Spotify I'll just I'll just tell you because you, you might not be able to see um, you've got I've got here a picture of the um, when you're picking a team on dream team and I've got what I call a full English so I've got the full England backline four England defenders and Jordan Pickford in goal um, so, for example, if, if you went for an England block, the, the good part about this is you've got Iran, USA and Wales in the group stages. 
So you'd like to think there's quite a good chance that England could keep a clean sheet in the majority of these, fingers crossed. Um, and the bonus of doing this is obviously for a clean sheet, you get the five points. But a lot of the time, if you do get a clean sheet, you're likely to get a good rating as well. So that could all, almost get bumped up to like eight points per player. Um, now, obviously, if you've got four defenders and a keeper, that's, that's going to be a, a big chunk of points. Um, so the pros of this... If you can predict correctly which which team or which block is is going to get a clean sheet or multiple clean sheets, it can be like really deadly, um, and so you're going to have potential. You're going to have the potential for multiple point scorers, um, and I think that's quite good because really, I, I find that it's really difficult to predict goal scorers. For example, I don't think in a, in a single game or a single like group of match days that you're going to be able to predict a goal scorer from like every game. So like if you've got five England defenders and you get the clean sheet points for that, I really wouldn't expect that you'll be able to get five goal scorers correct, for example. So it can be a, a better a better way of um, getting points that way. Um, and it's also worth doing this if you're making multiple teams. So you're taking advantage of having five teams. It could be a good way to go to go a full block of England, a full block of France, just take a look at the groups and, and choose which blocks you think have got the best opportunity because then you could potentially just jump on the team that's doing the best at the time and then by the time the knockouts come, um, you could be working with quite a high point uh, point total. But the cons of doing this, um, it can really backfire. So obviously if your team concedes early on or even just concedes at any point in the game, your entire backline could end up with no points unless they do get a rating or someone gets an assist along the way. Um, but yeah, it can it can work really well. So you can you can really rise up the ranks if it does pay off um, and pull ahead of people in your mini leagues. But it's a really a quite risky strategy. Um, and like Liverpool, for example. So um, Liverpool were doing really well in defence last season. So this season, I made a team with a, a full Liverpool block because you thought that would be quite a quite a good strategy to go. They've they're historically quite a good defence, um, and they've been terrible at keeping clean sheets really so far. Um, and that team's fell really far behind. So it's not always as um, it's not always that predictable. Um, and also another con from doing this is that, say for example, you did choose to go over a full England defence or a full um, England defence and the goalkeeper, you have trouble with your transfers if you if you have to change your mind. So for example, if our, uh, if uh, England ended up conceding against Iran in the first game, you're going to start to doubt whether or not they're going to be able to keep a clean sheet in the next game. And you can only make three transfers a day. So if you finally decided that you wanted to get rid of your full block, you could only get rid of three on the first day, then you'd have to wait and get rid of the other two on an extra day. Um, and then you're already five transfers out of your 30 in one go. So yeah, it does it does have some cons. And if it doesn't work out or you pick the wrong team, it can be quite damaging to not only your points, but your transfer allocation as well. So yeah, there's a lot to consider with this one, but it is really quite popular. Um, either with the full back four or back five if you're feeling really risky. But obviously, however many people you want to put in your block, 
Um, if you have less, it would I think it reduces the risk a little bit less. But it's a it's a real risk reward strategy, I think, this one. Then I've got on to what I'd call like a hybrid defence. Um, so in the picture for this one, um, I've blanked, by the way, I've blanked out all of the midfielders and the strikers, for example. I just auto-filled these, so it's not a proper team. Um, but just focusing on the goalkeeper and the defence. So in this one, I, I call this a hybrid, and I've got Pickford, Trippier, Stones, and then I've got Martinez and Romero from Argentina. So I, I think this is... Um, you get some of the benefits of a block, but you also, if you're a bit more um, risk adverse or you know um, like to play a bit safer, you've got now two teams in Argentina and England. And I mean, England have got Iran, USA and Wales, and Argentina have got Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. So you might think that these have got two quite good defences. You could start out like this, but then if you find that Argentina's defence doesn't look as good as you expected you could just change those two defenders or bring it down to a one Argentina defender and then you're only using two transfers or one transfer um, and it's a bit easier to pivot away from one of the other teams if it doesn't work out you've got a bit more flexibility so I quite like this one you can still capitalise on the fixture ease but it just spreads the risk a little bit with have bringing an extra team into it so I think this is one that I personally would aim to use. There's enough easy fixtures uh, in this, well, potentially easy fixtures in the group stages that you could really pick um, some good mixtures to go into the into the group stages with. And like I said on the um, like on the on the previous if, with the full blocks. If you do go into this one and say, for example, you go with England and Argentina, if Argentina turn out like they're not looking like a good defence, there is still every opportunity to go to a full block and capitalise on England if they're looking good. Or you could just swap those two Argentina for um, another two from another side that look like they could have good potential. I always think early on, if you, if you spread it out a little bit early on, if you do make the mistake and a team really is looking bad from the off, that way you still have got a bit more chance to move it all around and you haven't got to burn too many transfers. Then I'm going to say the third way you can sort of approach your defence. Um, I've just called this balanced. And in the picture there I've got Trippier, Saliba, Dumfries, Romero and Courtois in goal. So with this one I just think you could pick whoever you think is the best defenders from each club. Um, or each of the like favourites or best teams. And that way it just gives you a bit of coverage in all of the um, all of the teams that you think are going to do best. Um, so you spread your risk really across multiple teams. Um, and then you've also got potential for numerous star man awards. Um, you've got the potential for numerous clean sheets still. Um, but you've got numerous opportunities for star man awards and seven ratings. Whereas on the previous one, if you went with like a, a full England backline, obviously you can only get one star man from from that team so yeah you could you couldn't end up with Trippier for example which happens in Dream Team a lot getting getting Starman in your England block um, but the rest of them are limited in the amount of points they can get whereas for example in this this version you could I think it's going to be rare but you could get Trippier get a Starman Saliba get a Starman and even like a third player but I do think it's rare but you've got a bit more opportunity to get that Starman award um, and then it spreads the risk as well. So 
like I said, if you if you choose a team and they're really doing doing poorly from the start, you could quite easily take out Dumfries, for example, if um, if Holland have a bad start against Senegal, or if Argentina don't play well, you can just remove Romero and then you could bring in a player from another club. So you've got a lot of flexibility, um, but the only downside is you you've kind of limited in how how high you um how quickly you rise up the rankings for example um so if you do choose a team or you choose a block and it does work you can really shoot up the rankings or like top your mini league quite easily um whereas with this strategy the chances are a lot of people are going to choose um one or two from the best teams so the chances are you're going to stay with the pack um unless you do get it spot on and you get um, you predict the star man's or someone that gets an assist, for example. But yeah, you get a bit of balance from everywhere, but you're probably going to stay with the pack. It's a lot less risky, but and the reward is probably a lot less. But it stops you from being completely eliminated early on. Um, if you do get it wrong, you're going to be right down the bottom. If you get it right, you're going to be right at the top. Um, so this balanced approach, um, it really is in the is in the middle. It's low risk but it can be low reward as well um the guys that are going to be at the top of the leaderboard typically are going to be the guys that went with a block and they got it right from the off so it's just a it's just weighing up which which sort of manager are you in the game and what is your sort of risk level really again with that many transfers you could still um pivot to a block if you wanted once you get a better idea after after that first game i always think with the world cup after the first game you get a sort of feel of, oh, this team looked good, or this team, I was expecting them to be a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you can still start this way and pivot to a block or like a hybrid sort of team that I showed you in the one before. But personally, I, I think my favourite is the um, sort of hybrid sort of team at, at the minute. I think that that's a good balance between the two, the block and this. Um, and then I've just put down here um, previous... Uh, previous tournaments the the amount of clean sheets that have been kept because obviously you might want to go all in on clean sheets but you're not sure how many clean sheets are sort of um, available or is likely to happen um, so in Euro 2020 that just went um, it was actually England that got the most clean sheets in this one um, and so England got five clean sheets in Euro 2020 um, and actually that was um well, all the all the group stage games were clean sheets, and then I think it was the first two knockouts. It was five in a row. Um, so if you, for example, if you'd predicted that England um, block completely, and you went with that from the start, you really would be flying, um, and you wouldn't have had to have made too many transfers, like changes to your backline. Because if it worked the first game, you're gonna just keep it, and then you'd keep it again. Um, so that worked out quite well. But historically, um, the 2018 World Cup. Um, three clean sheets um were shared amongst so five keepers all got three clean sheets in the end um and then in 2014 um it was Neuer he got um four clean sheets in that one so somewhere between three and five would probably be most likely um so that's one thing just to consider when you are choosing your back line how how much you want to put value into your defense so yeah really just just to summarize that um Again, it's just mostly on your your sort of tolerance to risk and reward, really. So 
You've got the full block, which is going to be high risk, but if you can get it right, it's high reward. You're going to shoot up the rankings, but if you do get it wrong, you're going to have to, you're going to be a bit behind the pack and you're going to have to probably burn quite a lot of transfers in one go. You have got 30, it's, it's a quite a good amount of transfers still, so you can reverse it and change it quite easily. Um, but yeah, it it's just can be a big mistake if you do get it wrong. And then you've got the hybrid. I think I think this is what I'm going to go for um, in probably my main teams. A mix of sort of two teams or maybe even a different goalkeeper. Um, but I think this is a good mix, so you can quite easily change between different different teams if one's not working and it's not too high risk you only have to make a few transfers if it doesn't work and then the more balanced approach which is a bit of everything a bit of a mix um yes it's i don't think i'm going to go this way um but it is an option and it's quite good if you if you're stuck on, and you're not quite sure who you think's going to perform best you can go for one of each of the countries that look like they're going to be sort of favorites for the tournament then I'm just going to do a short bit on attackers. Um, I think when it comes to your sort of attack and your midfield, I feel like there's less of a, a laid out strategy or plan of how you want to approach it. Um, but what I'll do is I'll just cover roughly a few stats on how attackers do tend to perform in the in the World Cup. Because um, one thing I would consider, and I, I think personally, um, in the group phases, in the group stages, I think that's when you've got sort of the most um, likelihood of getting big hauls um, and, and goals and choosing someone that might get hat-trick or grab a brace, for example. I think if that sort of thing is going to happen, I feel like it's more likely to happen in the group stages um, when you have got some of those weaker sides than in the knockouts where you could see some big teams face each other and some quite um, cagey affairs. So I'll, I'll go with the attackers um, and... If you do sort of go heavy up top, these are some things that I think is worth considering because looking at the goal scorers of previous years, there's not it's not always that easy to predict. So Harry Kane, for example, um, he's been obviously a good goal scorer in international football as well. But um, this is like something to consider with him. So in the 2018 World Cup, he got the golden boot and he finished with six goals, which is actually fairly high um, but three of those goals came against Panama in the group stages so really that's you might want to target um, the high value strikers that have got a, t a, a game that you would consider to be an easy one so like that first fixture England versus Iran I'd expect hopefully we can you never know what's going to happen but hopefully you'd like to think that we could put quite a few goals past them so that might be a good one to target and then so looking at that I think a strategy that you could use is choosing or switching to strikers before they play like a weak side. Um, I haven't highlighted it, the sides that to target in this one. I'll do a different video on that one. But for example, I use this example again, but Iran, when we play them, Harry Kane could be a good one to target. Or Messi, for example, when he plays Saudi Arabia. Um, so... I think when it comes to this, if you're going to choose the big hitters, it might be worth choosing the big hitters when they play the game against the weaker opponents rather than just picking and sticking with them the whole tournament. Because one thing I did see when I was looking over the previous goal scorers, um, so in that 2018 World Cup, I mean, Messi got one goal. Um, I was looking at who, who got the goals in that tournament. 
Messi got one goal in that tournament. So if you're sort of doing a pick and stick and choosing someone that you want to keep throughout the tournament because you think they're going to get the golden boot, it might not be that easy to predict. Messi got one goal, Neymar only finished with two goals, Mbappe and Ronaldo did get four. So they're sort of all, all of those are players that you'd expect to get a lot of goals, but it's, it's really quite hard to predict. Um, in that tournament, the second most goals scored was four, um, and five players finished on four that tournament, Mbappe and Ronaldo being two of them. But yes, yeah, it's, it's just quite hard to predict the goal scorers. Um, and then midfielders as well. Um, obviously, they can get star man awards, they can get assists. But in the 2018 World Cup, two assists was the most assists anyone got in that in that tournament. Um, you had 16 players all tied with two assists. So if, you, if you're picking a... You know, um, I mean, De Bruyne is probably not the best example because he does score a lot of goals as well. But yeah, if you're picking a midfielder because you think there's someone that assists quite a lot in normal football, um, it it might not be the best strategy. You obviously only get the the two points for an assist. You probably would get a seven rating as well. But it's a hard one to predict, I think, in international football. Um, in Euro 2020, um, a player called Zuba for Switzerland, he got the most assists, which was four. So, I mean, you could get quite a few more, but then, yeah, I mean, we would have thought in Euro 2020 that it would be someone um, more well-known that would have got the most assists in that tournament. So, yeah, again, probably quite hard to predict the goal scorers and the, um, the assisters as well. Back on that Euro 2020 tournament as well, I've used the World Cup and Euro 2020s just because I think they're the most sort of relatable tournaments as they were quite close. Um... Ronaldo got five goals and Patrick Schick got five goals as well in that tournament. So a bit less than Harry Kane who got the six. But again, I haven't got the numbers for that one in front of us. But I still would imagine that a lot of those goals do come in the group stages. So I think if you're going to go heavy in attack, um, the group stages are the sort of time to do it. And it might be worth not just choosing one player and sticking with them, but actually rotating and using those transfers to bring players in um, before they play a, a weakened side. Now onto the bit that I find the hardest when it comes to tournament football on Sun Dream Team, which is your transfer strategy. Um, so in this game, like we said, we've got 30 transfers to last you the duration of the tournament. Um, and I think it comes down to risk versus reward again. So I've put down here, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And the reason why is that it's obviously... Um, it's really good to use your transfers early and you can gain a really good advantage in the group stages and making a lot of changes early on. But it is really horrible to run out of transfers like midway through the group stages or, or even heading into the group uh, into the knockout stages, sorry, and finding out that you're fairly low on, on transfers. It's quite a horrible experience and you kind of want to have transfers going the whole way through so that you can be engaged the whole way through the tournament, I think. Um, so yeah, like I, I said as well, um, I think it was in Euros that I think there was at one point where I got to the sort of like the quarterfinals or something and I, I only had like six or seven players available and no transfers left. So I don't want to make that same mistake again. Um, I think personally, the best way to do this, there's a few different ones I'm going to suggest. Um, but the two methods I'm going to suggest is either setting yourself up a limit per round. So I'd consider a round to be Match day one, match day two, match day three, round of 16, quarterfinal, semi-final and final. Um, I think this is a really good way to set it out if you're, especially if you if you play your Sun Dream Team normally, 
um, and you find yourself running out of transfers before the end of the month and you're, you're a bit too eager using them, I think this is a good way to go about it. Um, so I've just put here as a rough guide, um, you could set yourself out of this 30, you could set aside as a rough guide four transfers to use on match day one. So that's the first round where each team plays their first game. Four transfers to use during that duration. Five transfers for match day two, and then five transfers for match day three. And then you'll come onto the group stages, and then you could have four transfers for each stage. So you could have four transfers to use in the round of 16, four for the quarterfinal, four for the semi-final, and four for the final. You don't obviously have to use those numbers that I've, I've said there. Um, you could mix it up into a way that you think is most optimal. But then by setting yourself those rough limits, you, you just know that you're not going to run out before the end of the tournament. You might find that there's a big, a, a big mess up with your team and you might want to use, by match day two, you might want to use six transfers in that one. But then you, can, you just keep an, an idea in your mind that, okay, I'm going to use one less the following round. I think that's, that's a good way to do it if you're, you're a bit keen and you're a bit, um, you get a bit overexcited with your transfers early on. I think doing it that way is quite a good way to make sure that you don't completely run out. Um, and that's one that I've used previously. The other strategy I like for the, um, for the transfers is to split your allocation into groups versus knockouts. Rather than do it week by week, you could just set yourself a limit for this is how many I want to use for the groups and this is how many I want to use for the knockouts. So for example, 15 for the groups and 15 for the knockouts. But again, it's just finding what you think is the right balance. There is, in my opinion, there's no optimal way of doing it, um, at least not that I know of. Um, I just think it depends on how the tournament goes. But I, I, I think with the group stages, if you did, I'm saying 15 and 15 just for an easy example, but the only thing that I would consider is when it comes to the group stage, I think you're more likely to get hauls when it comes to um, attacking because, like I said, for the Harry Kane Panama example, um, I think there's more opportunities for players to score hat-tricks when they're playing against the weaker sides. Whereas when you get to the knockout stages, and for example, if you had a Argentina versus Brazil, I think it's going to be a lot Tight, a lot tighter game and a lot harder to decide who's going to be the goal scorers, for example. So I think the group stage can be more predictable than what the knockouts can be. Um, so yeah, I think it's easier to pre predict the clean sheets and easier to predict the hauls. So if you're going more aggressive, you might want to give yourself um, more transfers for the group stages if you're going to target the best striker. So you could jump from Harry Kane in the first game straight to Messi for his game, if they're not on the same day. Um, you could you could do that, and then you could, tar you could target the best strikers that are playing the, the best um, or the weakest teams. Or you might want to save transfers if you think the clean sheets are gonna be predictable. So if you just wanted to keep the England block, you might not need to use as many in the group stages. So it's, it's kind of finding the balance is quite, um, quite tough, but overall, I think the group stages, you're gonna be more likely to get hauls, it's going to be easier to predict the clean sheets. There's a lot of weaker sides that you can target. Um, and the only thing I would consider about the group stages as well is that third game um, can be quite unpredictable and there can be quite a lot of rotation. Obviously, if a lot of the teams field their best side for the first two games, there can be some sort of fitness doubts. And also some teams, I mean, if England win their first two games, I keep using England as the example, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the obvious one. But 
if England win their first two games and it's looking clear that they're going to win the group, then you might see a bit more rotation in that in that third game. So it could also be worth keeping a few transfers back for that third game and then you can switch to a team that you think has something to play for in that third round. So that's the only, only difference. Um, you might want to keep some spare ones for that. But ideally, it's just, it's just trying to set out a plan of how you want to do it. Do you want to attack the group stages or do you want to save more for the knockouts? The pros of keeping more for the knockouts is... When your players get eliminated, you can jump on the teams that are left. But it's just really hard to predict. Um, and I'm going to come on to it, but I think one of the things to consider when you do this is how you think the tournament's going to go as a whole. Um, and that's going to bring me on to the next one. But I really think you should consider using either one of the predictors, so like a World Cup predictor, um, where you just type in what results you think are going to happen. You could do it on a wall chart, but there's plenty of predictors online. And then you'll get a map of how the games could pan out and who the teams could draw in the knockouts. And I think that helps you not only pick your team, but decide how you want to use your transfers as well. For example, there, um, you don't want to you don't want a team or you don't want your team loaded with players, for example, that might then go on to face each other in the knockout stages. Otherwise, as soon as um, the knockout stages come, you might need to burn multiple transfers to remove that chunk of your team. Um, so I think if you're going for a block strategy early on, I'd try to be a little bit more conservative with your transfers, just in case you need to pivot, for example, onto a different block. Um, the way you could do that, though, is, and I think I'm going to do this, is divide my team roughly into sides of the draw. Um, that way you've got less chance of, when knockouts come, having your team or players clash and then losing players to the knockouts. So again, if you're listening on Spotify and you haven't got the, the video there, I've, I've just brought up, um, this is the Telegraph. They've got a World Cup predictor on their website. Um, so I used this roughly just to see how things would pan out if I predicted all the, all the results accurately. Um, and one thing you would find is, for example, if you, you might think from the start, France have got a really good group, and England have got a really good group. So I'm going to load up on half France and half England. Sounds like a good idea. But then when you go and do your predictor, um, I, mine, mine spat out here that England could end up facing um, France in the quarterfinal. So in that case, you might want to make sure that you've kept yourself enough transfers by the quarterfinal to remove those players from your team because the, one of them will end up knocking the other out. Um, another good example is um, so Spain and Germany are in the same group and you might think either Spain or Germany have got really good players and obviously Belgium are a good side as well so you might want to put Kevin De Bruyne in your side or Courtois. Um, so you load up your team and you've got Spain, Germany, Belgium and then you find in the round of 16 that Belgium could end up facing either Germany or Spain. So again, you're going to lose a big chunk of your players by the round of 16. So the way I think I might try and do this is fill out a predictor and then potentially work your way back. So I've filled mine out here and I think that Brazil and France might end up getting to the final. So I know that from the start in the group stages, when I make my team, if I was to put a couple of France and a couple of Brazil players in my team, there's 
a good chance that if if my predictions do come true, which I know is there's a lot of surprises can happen in World Cups and that kind of thing, but there's a less chance that I'm going to have to burn transfers for the silly reason of my two teams have faced off in the knockouts. So I think it could be beneficial to potentially do a pick and stick on at least one one player from each country that you think might get to the final or the later stages and that they're not going to face each other. So, for example, for me, Brazil and France, um, I might just want to, I just might want to put Saliba in, for example, if I think he's going to start. Or if you're going to put Neymar in your team, you just know that you might not have to end up removing him because France knocked out Brazil. Um, so that's the, that's the only thing that I would consider there. I think that it just gives you a bit more perspective on how to start your team off and stops you facing any sort of problems late on that you wasn't expecting. So yeah, again, to share that um, to share that predictor with you, um, this was the one that I used, and I I thought that it was probably just the the easiest to use and the easiest to look at. It sort of maps it all out after you fill it out. Um, that was on the Telegraph website, so I just googled World Cup predictor, but it brings up the Telegraph one. I thought that was probably the easiest one to use, and it sort of fills out the whole round robin thing for you afterwards and you can take a look at it. So I thought that was the best one to use. And yeah, I'd just recommend doing that before making your team. And it just gives you a better better idea of how you might want to start your team off. If you can avoid making early transfers or transfers in the knockouts because your teams are playing against each other, I do think that's a, an easy way to save some transfers. Um, and then you can focus on using your transfers to attack certain games rather than um, amending errors or like taking players out because they've been knocked out so you, you could in theory pick two teams that you think are going to go really deep in the tournament and st stock up on a couple of those and then you can use the other slots in your team to really attack people that you think might score goals or keep clean sheets but they could be your flexible slots so that's pretty much everything that I have for transfer strategy um, but the key points to take away or remember is that it's a marathon not a sprint um, save some transfers for the knockout stages because you just don't want to go into those knockouts um, and having all your players eliminated and then you're, you're in the final when you haven't got any players involved or you've only got a few players involved I think it does really make the whole watching and match day experience a lot a lot worse if you if you are into your dream team so yeah it's a marathon not a sprint and then you can split your transfers up so that you've got um, either by match day, so match day one, two and three, and then the knockouts one by one, or just give yourself an amount to use for the groups and then for the uh, the knockout stages. I still think that the groups probably have the best point scoring potential, and that's the best opportunity to get ahead of the competition. Um, but yeah, you just want to make sure that you do hold some back. And then that comes on to the predictor as well. So. Um, if you do want to be a bit more aggressive with the um, the group stages, maybe get yourself the World Cup predictor, um, the one on Telegraph that I recommended is good. Um, get yourself the predictor and maybe switch up your team so that you've got you know you've got players that are not going to end up facing each other and eliminating each other from the tournament. Um, and that way, it just stops your teams clashing, and then that way you save a few more transfers in the long run, so you can end up bringing in players that you want rather than removing players that have been eliminated. So that's everything for this World Cup edition of the Dream Team Professor podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope there's been something you can take away from this that might help your uh, your strategy and your planning for the World Cup so far. 
Um, like I said, I, I don't have the optimal strategy yet. Um, I've played quite a few times, but it is always a difficult format and no tournament's the same. So it is always, I find it quite difficult to, to get these ones right. But if you have taken anything valuable away from this or any sort of tips that you might find useful, please do like and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow as well. Um, other content that I'm going to be putting out is going to be um, the top players to target, top teams that I think we should be targeting. I'm going to give you a team reveal and then I'm just going to be doing regular team updates with how my team's been getting on. And if I do see any opportunities for players during the World Cup, I'll, I'll throw them in there as well. So thank you for watching and I hope to see you on the next one. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.